Hi folks and thanks for listening to this Tortoise Shack podcast. A little bit of housekeeping before we start. This podcast is going at simultaneously on our Patreon feed and on public release because, well, when you hear the content you'll realise time is of the essence. Uh, you will hear references made to other podcasts that are out on the Patreon feed, so it's out of sequence. So don't don't worry about that. That is just podcasts that I've done earlier in the week with DJ Walsh, the hospital pharmacist, the cancer hospital pharmacist in UHW, and solicitor Angus Kelly, who has just returned from Kiev, uh, with helping the EU advisory mission into war crimes in Ukraine. Uh, so if it seems like that's that's not in the feed, it's because they're out on the Patreon feed at the moment, but we had to get this one out as quickly as possible uh, please do listen i think it's very important uh, i'll stop rather than on and you'll hear now a short update on how uh, my co-host mark mcmahon is getting on and then from Sinn fein's morris quinlevin thanks for the support thanks for listening thanks for sharing thanks for liking do join us help us keep the mics on keep this show on the road and the platform uh keep it going the platform going into 2023 it makes all the difference above all else do have a listen to the opening piece of this podcast thank you Hi folks, before we start this podcast, I want to read an email that uh, my colleague Martin McMahon wrote yesterday um, to people who were dealing with him, as I said on the podcast previously, after he'd spent, I think it was 12 hours sitting on a chair in A&E. Uh, I will leave out the names, obviously, but I will keep it as factual as I can. Uh, to whom it may concern... Uh, I had an outpatient appointment with you on 19th of December 2022. On the 20th of December, I started the medication for IBS that you prescribed. I was feeling ill and vomiting on the 21st and 22nd of December. On the 23rd of December, my condition worsened with severe lower left back pain. And although I could not clearly feel what was happening in my abdomen because of the medication was then masking the pain, I was aware of a dull pain and activity in my abdomen. On the evening of the 23rd of December, I developed an acute pain under my ribs on the right-hand side. I've had this pain many times in 2022. It is the lining of my stomach becoming infected. I was extremely ill with pain and non-stop vomiting on the 24th, 25th and 26th of December. As I was unable to hold anything down, the masking effect of the medication you'd prescribed had worn off and by the evening of the 26th, my entire abdomen was in, in pain. Again, this has happened to me at least a dozen times in 2022. On the 27th of December, I was in agony. On the 28th of December, my partner called an ambulance at 4.30pm. It took until after 11pm for the ambulance to arrive. I was triaged in bone mount and left sitting on a chair for the next 12 hours. I was dehydrated, in pain, and eventually at approximately 11am on the 29th, my bowel unexpectedly leaked fluid and I was covered in my own excrement. I cleaned myself up as best as I could, asked the nurse to take the line out, and I went home. I was in extreme pain, both from the infection and because I've had repeated cancer surgery on my buttock, hip, and groin in the past, which makes sitting for any length of time unbearable. Before I left Bowmount A&E, the nurse informed me that there were still six patients before me and a wait time of approximately three hours left. No doctor saw or spoke to me for the entire time I was in A&E. I was not given IV fluids, painkiller, nor antibiotics. I was put on a chair in a corridor and left there with no care. Three hours later, I was contacted by telephone from Beaumont A&E and told that I had white blood cell count of 20. I asked, did, did I have perinitis? I was informed that they didn't know. I asked because I have presented more than once with perinitis and A&Es in 2022. I was informed that I should come back in and that the, that the last time I had been in Beaumont A&E, I had a white blood cell count of 27. 
The A&E visit referred to was in February 2022, when, much to my dismay of my GP, I'd been sent home with a white blood count of 27 and two painkillers. It was an utterly disgraceful and negligent episode. Two days after that A&E visit, I went by ambulance to Connolly Hospital, where they told me there was nobody to do a scan and I was, and I was discharged. Some days later, I went to the A&E in Navin, where a scan and tests were carried out. I was diagnosed with chronic diverticular disease and told that my bowel would need to be resected. Unfortunately for me, in March, I again had to call an ambulance who brought me, brought me to Connolly and Navin handed my care over to Connolly. Since then, I've been in Connolly A&E at least 10 times. I've been on a ward at least three times. and my last meeting with a consultant in Connolly, he informed me that there was no record of infection. I told him he was wrong, and he would have to, but he wouldn't listen to me, and instead said he would arrange an appointment for me in Bowmount, which never happened. I'm on antibiotics now from my GP since the 29th of December. They've helped with the vomiting, but I'm still in serious debilitating pain. I cannot describe my treatment or lack thereof in Bowmount as anything less than negligent. I'm going to die stupidly of an infection because no one will listen to me communicate with their hospitals nor heed what my GP has been writing all year. I have survived malignant melanoma since 2009 at very great personal and physical cost. I do not want to die stupidly because of negligence having come this far. I do not have IBS. Something far more serious is wrong and I've spent an entire year in bed vomiting and in pain. I rang your secretary at noon and explained the dire situation I'm in. No one has called me back. The antibiotics I'm on run out on Thursday. From my experience, these infection will flare up again in two to three, three days after that. I'm going back into Beaumont A&E on Thursday. It's either die neglected in that hellhole or die at home. I've had enough of the incompetence and negligence. I need help. I need help quickly. Please help me. Martin McMahon. Yeah, I'll just leave that there, folks, and we will come back to you in just a second with my conversation with Sinn Féin TD's Morris Quinlevin. Hello and welcome to the Echo Chamber podcast. My name is Tony Groves, and as promised, we are back covering the situation that is currently unfolding in our health service. Uh, we spoke yesterday to University Hospital Waterford's um, DJ Walsh. Uh, got a great response from listeners from that. And obviously, you know, thanks to DJ for, for speaking so openly and plainly about the struggles we have. I've been in touch with a few people also in the course of the last 24 hours who have worked, you know, during the front lines during COVID. And they've said, situation is as bad or worse than they've seen and that people who would generally want to be out you know you'd say people want to go home people want to leave hospital but they can't because they are too sick so we are finding it very hard now to to balance this with the messaging of don't present an A&E call your GP GP call your care doc all of this mixed messaging that it seems to be out there now and it is a real real problem across the health service obviously Martin is unwell I've spoken about the fact that my co-host spent 14 hours on a seat in, in a hospital in Dublin in the last few days. Um, it's just really, really, really grim. And with that in mind, <laughs> this is the most downbeat introduction I've probably ever done. I, I am delighted to be joined by Sinn Féin's uh, TD for Limerick City and and joint uh, chair chairperson of the Oireachtas Committee for Enterprise Trade and Employment, Morris Quinlevin. Morris, thanks for taking the time to talk to me. 
thanks very much, Tony. It's, it's great to be on the show, and um, hopefully we have a nice discussion about UHL and you know the failures there and the positives well, that we we can get there. Like you know, well let's let's start with UHL if you don't mind, University Hospital Limerick, because the the most recent figures I've seen, and I just want to focus on this one, is that there's over twenty three. There's twenty three people now who are over twenty four hours on a on a trolley. And that's that I got those statistics from a, a hospital consultant in the last few minutes before we came on air. Um, you know, uh, you're talking about 44 people in excess of uh, 12 hours and 33 in excess of nine. It's it's really unsustainable, Mars. Yeah, look, this will come as no surprise, especially to people in Limerick in the Midwest who have been using that hospital for a number of years. It goes back to the reconfiguration in 2009 when we closed the three emergency departments in um, NS Nina and St. John's here in the city. Uh, what was supposed to be delivered at that time then was the Centre of Excellence um, at University Hospital Limerick. Um, I don't know how the staff are working there at the moment. Um, you know, they, they contact me on a daily basis, whether that is consultants, nurses, porters, kitchen staff, absolutely normally in tears by the time the conversation is finished um total stress trying to do their best out there but it's simply not sustainable so if, for instance today there's 97 people officially on trolleys according to the INMO and that would be double the figure we had to say last year you know which is 48 um so well, we were well we were in the still in the teeth of a pandemic exactly yeah um this year incredibly 18,000 people were on I, I hate to use the term now on trolleys because, uh, unfortunately, in UHL at the moment, there is no trolleys available. So people are on chairs, and I was sent a picture. You know, I wouldn't use the picture because it, it, it would breach somebody's privacy, but an older woman sleeping on a blanket there yesterday. Mm. Um, absolutely incredible scenes going on there. Um, people who are deemed necessary to have a bed, but no bed. So 18,000 people of those in 2022 in Limerick, which is the highest number recorded in any hospital across the state since these figures have been recorded by the NMO. Totally, totally outrageous and totally, totally preventable as well. Because if you look at, I was in the Dáil debate there recently with Minister Donnelly, we were talking about statements on health and whatever. And he was saying how well University Hospital Waterford had, had had operated, how you know they'd reduced their trolley, and there, were, there was talks of a thousand days without people on trolleys, or you know without having to, mm. to do any emergency um, things or whatever. Unfortunately, in Limerick, since I've been elected in 2016, there used to be a thing called the uh, a full capacity protocol. Which was the thing you you would use if there was, God forbid, a plane crash of Shannon or a major crash of a bus or whatever, where they would do suspend stuff in the hospital, suspend operations, um, elective surgeries, uh, have additional beds and wards or whatever. This has been in operation in Limerick since 2016, every single day. Um, so it's been have- an emergency. It's been firefighting since 2016. Probably longer, yeah, but 2016 it, it got incredibly worse, you know. So yeah, you would have had the figures on trolleys. Um, people, if you went back to when Fine Gael government first time was three thousand people on trolleys in Limerick, and now you're at eighteen thousand. So you're yeah. twelve years in government, and it's progressively got worse. And the thing about this is, this was all predicted. This was all flagged up to them. Um, I remember being elected to the Dáil in 2016, and my colleague uh, Denise Mitchell, who was representing Double Bay North, she was elected at the same time, and she would have been raising the similar issues as I was in 2016, and mm. doesn't have to raise the issue of, now I know there's problems in all the hospitals at the moment, but there nothing is. Of, 
nothing of the scale of university hospital Limerick, unfortunately. Uh, and 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 again, go back to what DJ spoke about yesterday. If I'd recommend it to listeners, if you haven't heard it yet, he he did his PhD in avoidable deaths. I I I, I think I called them preventable deaths, and he said, well, you know, there's always a difference between avoidable and preventable, and and how systems fail. Um, but but this is where what we're looking at, and when you have a record of nine hundred and thirty one patients waiting for a bed currently today and we're breaking all records and then you have a Taoiseach who's who's recently detonished and now back as Taoiseach's making statements like all uh, all resources will de- be deployed but you're telling me Morris that all we were on an emergency footing already so so where does yeah, the well, where does where does the truth lie in that well the truth is that the people in the midwest and I've used this word with the, <laughs> the previous Taoiseach and I'll probably use it with the new one as soon as I get an opportunity when it all is, returns after summer recess and in fairness I was talking to my, dip, my colleague Deputy um, David Conland our health spokesperson uh, last night and this morning as well and he has written to the health committee to, to come back straight away and to discuss not just not just the local hospital here in Emory but uh, uh, the crisis across emergency care but look um, I, and I, hate, I hate repeating these stats but these are stats that no, I've raised in the law a huge number of times, and it's from the Royal College of Emergency um, Medicine in the UK. And they say that if, um, if you're waiting, if a patient's are waiting more than eight hours of ED, there's an additional uh, death per 67 people waiting eight, eight hours, you know. So that is shocking. And I don't know if anyone saw BBC last night, and they were, their second story was on the hospital crisis they're having. And that would be obviously, they were saying that they, they What's what was his name? Is the vice president of the Royal College of Emergency yeah. Medicine, uh, Ian Higginson, was saying for every eighty-two people who wait for more than six hours, there was one associated death there. So, you know, without scaring people, um, these I are asked, uh, like no, we have to be like we have to be realistic about this, and this is the issue. Now, again, you will be will be challenged and said, uh, Morris, but you know, uh, what would you do if you were given the opportunity? Like you, you represent the people, the city of Limerick. You know, what would you change? What, what, what would you do in in terms of just trying to lift that burden? Well, firstly, we wouldn't have been in the situation we're in at the minute, right? Because we have. Asked like I met the I met the CEO of UHL with David Colnan, our spokesperson, October 2021. You know to flag up these issues that we were having. Um, we were well aware that across the whole state, and anyone included in Northern State as well, the worst performing hospital with the emergency department is in Limerick. Um, so these are things that we have flagged up and. You know, look at UHL at the minute. There's 67, 68, 67, or 68. I'm not sure is non-consultant doctors. It's not an, an awful phrase, by the way. Yeah, but um, you know, with those posts are are, are available, um, sixty-eight of them. You know, so mm. you have nurses who are leaving. You know, and, and you can't blame them. You know, especially those who are uh, working in the emergency department. And can I just put on record as well that once you get through that emergency department, the care you get in the hospital, by and large, is very, very good. It's excellent. Staff are doing a really good job as best as they can do. But this is this has been flagged up for years. And what we're talking about. Uh, we Sinn Féin launched a health policy well over a year ago, which we t- talked about an additional 3.3 billion mo- of money going into the health service, recruiting 6,600 additional staff. And you were talking about doctors, nurses, consultants, all that sort of stuff to, to alleviate the pressures we're in. We have a winter plan from the minister who was forced to print or publish it from the HSE or whatever, way too late. No ambition in it, nothing whatsoever. And we have the nonsense from the, HS, uh, from the HSC and UL, UHL yesterday telling people not to come to the hospital um, to go to alternative op- options in the area. 
I can tell you from the amount of people who've been on to me in the last couple of days, you can't get a GP appointment. No. You can't go to Shannon Dock. Um, I have a letter here from the HSE themselves about the Shannon Dock service basically collapsing over the, over, the, over the holiday period. People were telling me they were ringing 30, 40 times a day and couldn't get through. I, so, I, I know of people who've set their alarms to get up early to start, who are unwell, who are sick, who are setting alarms to start the, the call-in process because... One, they're kind of afraid to go to A and E because of the the mood yeah. music, and and two, and two, they've been trying for hours in advance to try and get a, a an appointment. So that's not new, and 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 but but it's an awful indictment of a country that says we've put two billion aside for a rainy day fund. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's it's bucketing down. Yeah, um, we we've had you know, and today, and unfortunately, with the hospital in Limerick, like we've we've cancelled all elective surgery, you know, and that mm. always has a knock on on effect of when the person who was scheduled for hospital appointments or for surgery or for whatever today when will they be brought back in again will their condition worsen which it obviously will in some cases hopefully won't in most um uh, and the stress of that and, and look we're waiting with the beta breath to see what's going to happen what's going to be an announcement this evening or operations or appointments going to be cancelled again tomorrow and the next day or whatever you know so it, this all feeds into each other and then we have the whole crisis of care so when people are in hospital and a number of people are in hospital to be older people many who don't have living relatives or people to care yeah, we for can't, them they, they can't be discharged uh, into, can't be discharged because in- there's nowhere to go so that's where I would and look I, I come from the left I'm a socialist myself but I would say at, at this present day we have to intervene and we have to get uh, an intervention from the private hospitals we have to requ- sequester beds as best we can we have to do whatever we can do because we cannot go on the way we're going on in Limerick. That's, um, that's, it's not fair. Look, the people in Limerick are having it bad, but the people around the Midwest are having it worse. So if you're in West Clare or North Tipperary or whatever, and you have to travel in as well, miles and miles, or West West County Limerick, like, you know, you're traveling into the one ED and you're waiting for like three days, four days, five days, you know, mm. on a trolley if you're lucky. Um, some people on chairs and as I told you about that that lady whose picture was sent to me sleeping on the floor in a blanket like absolutely scandalous stuff going on at the minute the St. Vincent's Hospital currently has 25 people um, you know over 24 hours 25 people over 24 hours to take those grim statistics that will have knock-on effects for mortality of a couple of people potentially you know so it's just that it's that grim can i can i can i if you go back if you go back tony looked to um march of this year 15th or 16th of march or whatever hickwick came to uhl unannounced right Mm. and there was four um what to call it the four issues that they were looking at three of them were non-compliant and one was only partially compliant so this, if this didn't flag it up to the government, then they, but, you had you had can I ask you, Sinead McGarry did a very tweet, a thread that went viral on this on social media. If you saw it, she's, um, she, she, she wrote about publishing letters from members of staff in, in, in UHL notifying members of the department saying this is going to happen. Yeah. Uh, and like, uh, Sinead's been on this podcast and we'll talk to her again, but I mean, nonetheless, it, it, it kind of broke through the spin of, you know, oh, we need an investigation into the tragic loss of a young lady's life, and 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 it broke through that that not that spin because, unfortunately, sadly, much of the that had been flagged during the course of of twenty twenty two. Yeah, I think uh, I think if you go back to 2018, 2019, I hosted the INMO in a doll in a doll 
a doll uh, meeting in the AV room in the doll, which is for all the Midwest representatives, TDs and senators or whatever. And they were concerned at the time. They wanted an investigation, an internal investigation. That's 2018, 2019. So here we are now in 2023 where, you know, the hospital is not fit for purpose. Um, and look, I, I do understand there's issues of capacity. For instance, if you look at UHL's Delight report said that we need an additional 200 doctors or 200 um, beds at that hospital, you know, by 2032, the only plan we have in that hospital is to deliver 48. We're talking about a 96 bed unit, which will only deliver 48 new beds. So you're taking out 48 beds, which is good, no fairness, right? So you're going to bring 96 beds, which will be individual units, you know, to stop the spread of um, infections, as we all learned during the pandemic, and get rid of what they call Nightingale wards, where, you know, multiples of people in the same ward. So moving to that is a positive thing. But if your plan is only to deliver 48 beds, which will probably come at the fastest in two years time but no additional plan of how you're going to get people who are ready to be discharged discharged with no additional supports for uh, accident and emergency or for um, your GP services Shannon Doc and stuff like that now one of the positive things that started but it's only just started is the Pathfinder thing whereby especially with older people that they uh, a service will come to their home to save them coming to the hospital so that that was worked very successfully in Bowman Hospital. We're hoping that will have some sort of an impact here in UHL. But, you know, there's so much needs to be done and we have to think outside the box as well. As I said, I'm a socialist. I'm from the left myself. And I would actually be looking at the private hospitals in, in sequestering. Of beds. course. Well, I mean, we, we, we did it during COVID. And, yeah, and, and and let's let's not I want listeners to remember when we you know let's not forget the evidence of our own eyes we saw it could be done but also let's not forget the financials of it many of these hospitals whether it's for tax purposes you know some of them are banked in Luxembourg for example um, and yeah. they're loss making so yeah. uh, and they cherry pick they cherry pick things from the from the public service and they do it like DJ spoke about it better than I could yesterday can I ask you um, a side a side issue but I think very much related um, you you were part of the uh, drug and alcohol task force um, as well. We find at this time of year, obviously, we have we year round we have seasonal representations for for um, different different re- issues relating to addiction and that. Hi, um, is that something that you think needs to be you know removed from an A and E, or is that something that 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 you've you've looked at in terms of how we how we we address that? And I say that as someone who advocates for a harm reduction model, by the way, very yeah. clearly. I think that's a very topical question, actually, Tony. Um, I've been involved in the Drug and Alcohol Forum here in Limerick <laughs> 12 plus years. Um, I'm a director of it, Salam, um, re- recently reappointed. Um, with the dish- issues we're dealing with here and another project we're going to deal with here is called what's called a 24-hour de-escalation unit. Um, it's been trialed in UHL. It was supposed to be done before Christmas. It hasn't been done. But I'm actually, for the first time, I'm, I'm actually confident it will be delivered probably in the first quarter of, of this year. And that is where trained people, paramedics, Gardaí, um, and hospital staff will actually meet a person where they're at in the crisis, saving them coming to UHL. Um, and that has been a disaster for everybody. The amount of people have been told, uh, we have wonderful organizations in Limerick. You have the Haven Hub, um, and then you have Limerick Suicide Watch and, and Treaty Suicide Prevention Watch. The, those two last team uh, groups I mentioned do patrols around the city bridges and the city walls or, you know, mm. by the river. And then the Haven Hub is kind of a resort where you can go into a last resort if you want to speak to people. But the de-escalation unit is um, what has worked successfully in Belfast. Um, the HSC and the Gardaí to coming together are happy to try it here in the Midwest. We were hoping to be up before Christmas. It's not, but it's up 
Yeah, it, hopefully it'll be the first quarter. And to come back to your initial question, which is about drugs and addiction, yeah. a lot of people who present with mental health problems do have drugs and addiction problems. And, uh, you know, uh, an issue before dual diagnosis, which is if you have a mental health problem and an addiction problem, we never really dealt with that together. So if you had, Oh, no, we say go away and get clean and then come back to us yeah. and, 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 and then tell me about your, your mental health issue. Exactly. Uh, and, like, and that's... You, and, you're, you know, it's actually crazy what we were doing there for years. So I know we've copped on to that. There's a lot to be done. We've got a new drugs minister put in. Which I genuinely have no faith in this. Like, you know, the last one was a disaster, absolute disaster. Um, the new one that's put in there, is, it wasn't even a proper title she's got. She's going to be doing a government chief whip as well. And you know, but there, drugs, but but there is there is there is the idea of the citizen assembly for for um on yeah, on, on on the topic and 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 like I mean, you know. I've raised that in thought as well a few times because there isn't a commitment to do a citizen assembly on the issue of drugs. Yeah. Um, you know, I'll be chairing a Sinn Féin um, group on, on the issue of drugs and our drugs policy in the next couple and, of and, well, and, 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 and do, you, do you support the idea of uh, like a Lisbon-style model, Morris? Yeah, I'd be very supportive of that myself. Um, I have to get you through my own party, though, first of all. Um, but look, the Lisbon model, I've studied it very closely. Um, it's very good and it's not brilliant, but it is very, very good. I was in Portugal myself recently, and there's a clear, um, clear benefits from it. You know, the lot, a lot of people not dying, a lot mm. of people not getting infections, a lot of people are cleaner, safer, uh, criminality way down. You know, all that stuff has been really, really positive. It hasn't reduced the number, which I never thought it would. In fairness, it hasn't reduced the number of people using drugs. Uh, no, but but but, but, look, but 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 people will use drugs and always have for for for, for yeah. millennia, and we have to be honest about that. At least in can, this way, it's it's looked upon as a health issue and not a um a law and order issue in many yeah. in many regards. Unless you know it tips into it. But in Lisbon, you start with the dissuasion commission. And then you get the you get the wraparound support services, and they don't come yeah. at you and say, "Go away and tell me you've quit your whatever particular um, crutch of choices." You know, yeah. before we can deal with your uh, your your underlying issue. Um, I just we, ser- uh, we seriously need to yeah have a fundamental rechange of how we do that. Like I'm sitting here in Limerick at the minute. Look out of my I can look out of my office now. I've said this at JPC meetings, and I can actually see people, you know, buying drugs and shooting up drugs from my own office myself yeah. in the in the course of the centre, um, and a Liffey project in mainly based in Dublin but have been in the Midwest for the last 10 years I know Tony uh, well so, yeah Tony Duffin yeah I met Tony recently in Limerick they launched their um, their new van their outreach van but their 10 years anniversary in Limerick you know and mm. I was in the drugs task force when they came down and not everybody was convinced that they would do a good job because, you know, Dublin and Limerick, they are different. Well, the Midwest region they're doing, but they're doing a super job, done a fantastic job during the pandemic when they were one of the few frontline services out and about. Um, but they give out more crack pipes in Limerick than they do in Dublin. Twice as many as they give out in Dublin. Can that's you imagine? A, like? That's a scary statistic, especially when you consider economies of scale. And and, and I know yeah. someone told me recently, um, I'm I, there's a community close to me where someone said it's easier to get a, a crack pipe than a cup of coffee. And uh, yeah. and that's that's another. But we do need to address that. Um, look, I just over, overall we look at the 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 health the health service and we and we think, you know, <coughs> we have to start moving genuinely towards um healthcare as as it was seven years ago Slanche Care was agreed as a cross party yeah. initiative and yeah. we've made very limited progress what and I, I know before the doll went into recess that the, com- the health committee was looking at progress of John declared I know the members on that were totally frustrated of of how so that's that's and we have to we have to 
put our hands up and say, do we want a universal healthcare system or do we want the two-tier system that we have at the moment, which isn't working? Does not work for people? And you can talk about whether that's trying to get through accident and emergency, whether you're waiting for elective surgery, if you have a child with special needs waiting for an assessment, the CAM situation, uh, jigsaw, the waiting lists there. Mm. Then the whole issue around drugs and addiction. What, what are we? What are we talking about? What we're doing and who has access to medicine? Um, do you have to have private medicine? You know, so all that but, stuff. But, needs to be, well, you can't. I put it to you, Morris, as a, as a member of Sinn Fein, that you, uh, that despite the fact that the the, the Northern Ireland um, health service has really poor outcomes currently, that not having a, a, uh, a NHS for all Ireland is a huge blocker to to your party's ambitions for United Ireland, uh, and it, it will be. A central key to any any talk that we as if we move towards um, any type of unity uh, referendum or discussion, it has to be it has to be sit front and center. I, I think it's going to be one of the top topics for people in the north, especially. Well, unfortunately, the National Health Service in in the UK, across the whole of England, Scotland, Wales, and and the north in particular, ha- is collapsing as well, and that's because the Tory government cuts for the last number of years, but. People still, you know, you can go to GP there without forking out 50, 60, 70 quid, which you should pay here. It might say the Limerick, it might be more expensive in Dublin. But we have to come up with some sort of a solution. And we we, we are fundamentally in the favour of a national, a true national health service. It's properly resourced and you, you can access it when you're actually... Um, when you're actually sick I mean I have a mother-in-law I live, my, my, my in-laws are English so I was over in England for Christmas my mother-in-law was complaining that she got her cataracts done and she had to wait six weeks for them you know yeah <laughs> and it would no, be six, I, like, I, I understand we've we, we, we people we've people who uh, every there's not with a million people on, on, on waiting lists there's not a there's not a household in this country that's not affected by someone who's sitting on yeah. a waiting list I, last yeah. question and and, uh, and I just want to I want to put it to you Sinn Féin needs to get its act together on, on what's saying about climate action it can't continue to uh, obfuscate on whether uh, the, these. I, I, I think, in fairness, like um, I think we get a bad rep on that, which isn't deserved. Do you know? Um, w- the only thing we've been opposed to was, um, you know, an increase in carbon taxes. We're not opposed to ca- carbon taxes. We've we've never opposed that. You know. Um, I am here in the Midwest region and I'm pushing my party, which my party is fully supportive of delivering um, renewable energy off the West Coast, developing Shannon Fines Port. As chair of the Oireachtas Committee, I brought a delegation to Belfast because, believe it or not, if we, if we want to build offshore wind turbines or whatever you call them, renewables, the, the state can't do this. It simply has not the capacity the only place in the island of ireland where you can build an offshore renewable is in belfast at the minute so we need to get our act together and we're encouraging the government to get our act together like the, believe it or not as well one of the big things is going to be green hydrogen the government doesn't even have a green hydrogen strategy we put down a doll policy on that a couple of months ago now they're working to do one like but you know they don't even have a strategy of what to do companies are telling me they won't invest in ireland because they don't know what the government strategy is so i yeah, i take a lot you're preaching. You're preaching a lot. You're saying a lot of the language I want to hear, but there's still also that I'm, I'm not there's, also, take, there's like, also still the element of you won't commit to reductions around levels that we need to talk. We need to talk about in areas like agriculture and areas like that. That we well, really what we won't do, Tony. And in fairness, I think we're being blind, not blindsided. I think we're being misrepresented, not by yourself now or others, but by people saying, "Oh, you're soft on climate. You're soft on climate action." I don't think that's the case whatsoever. But what, what we what we're very strong on is not making an older person in my in a house who can't heat her house to pay additional money for that or or a government that have nonsense about the SEAI will deliver grants so what, what are you waiting 18 months to, to, to two years to get the grant to come through to yourself 
then you have to put the grant money, most of the bulk of the money up front. So when, when the government stop punishing people who are in fuel poverty already, uh, I know there's been supports over the last couple of or the last couple of weeks or whatever. But they won't last. Well, the only you know, the, one so, thing, the one thing I'll say to you is you've, you've said twice on this podcast that you're a socialist. I think you need we need to see a a, a voice in Sinn Fein saying I'm an eco socialist as well. Well, look, uh, I don't use that term, but I don't have a problem with that term either. Like, you know, it's just. Uh, I know. Oh, I just, I just think, <laughs> like, because, because I don't want to be we, like we, I, I call myself. Um, I think when I was elected in 2014, the local paper had this story. The headline of myself was proudly describing myself as Republican socialist, and that's that's what I consider myself to be. Like, you know, and that's mm. that's what I believe. Um, hopefully, after the next general election, unfortunately, it wasn't after the last one, but hopefully, after the next one, the Sinn Fein will be the lead party in government, um, and we can start delivering on a lot of the stuff with we, we that that simple common sense stuff that will make people you know healthier better off um and and never leave people behind like unfortunately like uh, unfortunately i immigrated twice in my life you know i'm not that mm. old like um mm. and we're at a situation now where the since the economic crash um in 2018 or 2008 2009 2010 when t- hundreds of thousands of people left the shores now we're back to that because they're leaving because they can't get a house yeah, you know, and, so and, and, and that is a challenge. Change. That's the challenge that faces Sinn Fein, and and again, we we you know we we we'll wait we we'll wait and see. Critics will say what what you know shows the plan. Show me the plan, and and again, we we we'll, there's there's still two years to rule on this. But Morris Quinlan, yeah. thank you for taking the time. I know it's uh, supposed to be a little bit of a, a downtime for you, so t- I appreciate oh, you no. stepping away and giving <laughs> not, me the, and having the chat. Limerick anyway, so thanks very much, Tony. Not, not at all. Listen, folks, we are back later on in the week, and we're going back to cover. Unfortunately, the new government that's come into Israel via the prism of Palestine and some of the things that have been said there, uh, you won't be surprised to hear that I have um, I have strong feelings about some of the statements that were made and the unfortunate tweet by Ursula von der Leyen welcoming a guy who has literally said one of his uh, one of his key things is to continue illegal settlement. So yeah, all that to come as well. Talk to you all very very soon. Take care. Bye bye. Tony and Martin, Martin and Tony. Speaking to interesting people only, it's the Echo Chamber Podcast. Subscribe now on Patreon.